About 80% of people with dementia are receiving care in their homes, usually from a family member or friend. Being that caregiver can be an emotional and challenging role. That means taking care of yourself is just as important as looking after your loved one. Welcome to Novant Health, Healthy Headlines. I'm Gina DiPietro. In this episode, Cliff Mertens talks to Melissa Welch, a Novant Health licensed clinical social worker, about taking care of the dementia caregiver and the effect it has on everyone in the family. Thank you for listening. How important is it for a caregiver to take time for themselves, despite the many things they need to do for their loved one? Um, So my role here at the memory care clinic is really to just support caregivers um, and really encourage them to exercise balance. And what I mean by balance is You know, let's just say you're a care partner of mom, dad, husband, wife, doesn't matter who it is. Um, In that situation, if it's you and a spouse who has dementia, um, there's two people of equal value in the home, not one. And it's easy to forget because the needs of someone with dementia are so different than the needs of most adults. Um, It's easy to accidentally kind of trade your quality of life for the other person out of love um, and that's easiest way to um, end up running yourself into the ground mm. um, our bodies run like cars and if you don't stop and fill up then you'll run out of gas and be stuck on the side of the highway so how important is it to communicate with the loved one, when you are a caregiver, it's not so much just a one-way conversation. You really need to be be open to communicating with that person who's suffering from Alzheimer's, correct? So actually, I would, um, you know, with Parkinson's, yes. With dementia, mm-hmm. no. Um, one of the things about Alzheimer's disease and other types of dementia, not just Alzheimer's disease, but um, it, it basically um, oftentimes will not allow you to use like logic and reasoning. Mm -hmm. So those skills are more complex. They're more complex brain skills. So for instance, you know, if you're on your way home and you hear on the radio that there's a terrible accident on I-40, you probably are gonna take back roads if you normally take I-40 on your way home. Someone with dementia, if they still can drive, because they functionally still can perform that task, mm. would likely just still get in traffic because the the brain doesn't tell you, I need to do something different, I need to adapt. So when you're trying to talk to someone with dementia, you, de- you definitely wanna engage them, but you don't necessarily want to try to put it out there that you need a break, um, because that would be painful. Mm-hmm. What's the best way to educate, if I became a caregiver, what's the best way I could educate myself about the disease and my role? Well, um, you know, there's a lot of great resources out there. Um, The National Institute of Health has a lot of wonderful resources, um, both online and in booklet forms. Um, Here at the Memory Care Clinic, we specialize in all types of dementias. 
Um, and so if you were to, even if your loved one wasn't a patient, let's just say your uh, daughter that you know loves a mom who has dementia that's out of state, you still would be eligible for our services to come here as a care partner and just meet with me one-on-one -on -one or you and other family members, the, the team that's involved in the person who has dementia. Um, so that I can really give you some um, coping skills, uh, support groups that are available in the area um, to encourage you to have that balance as you move forward so you're not just trading one person's life for another. Because mm -hmm. um, in the end, that's not just bad for the person who um, kind of expires, um, whether it be emotionally or even physically, because that does happen, that sometimes people who their, their stress is so high that they you know, end up having a heart attack. Mm -hmm. um, that's not just bad for the person that passes away or ends up just getting burnt out. It's bad for the person who needs care. Because when that person who needs care loses one of their primary advocates, then, you know, a lot of times placement is the only option. Um, and, you know, that may not have been the first choice. But um, certainly we offer a lot of guidance and, and help here. Um, I lead a caregiver support group weekly. We have something called Memory Makers, which is a program for those who have dementia and those who are their loved ones. Right now we're doing them virtually, but it's basically just a, a time where I will try to engage both care partner and person with dementia to give them something that someone with any level of dementia would be able to do and be able to do like fun activities together, dancing, um, things that will help just kind of uh, help them uh, bond mm -hmm. and be able to communicate. You can't communicate with someone with dementia the way you used to communicate with them. Mm -hmm. So learn new ways to be able to connect to them becomes important. And that communication is going to be ongoing because it's a progressive disease. So there's going to be, it's not going to be the same forever. It's how do you deal with the ups and downs with, you know, one day it might be really, really clear and things are communicating well, but then a week later, You've, you've done a 180 and it's really difficult to communicate with your loved one. How do you deal with that as a caregiver? You err on the side of just self-worth and dignity. So, um, you, you know, on days that they seem real lucid, of course you take advantage of those moments. But because a person with dementia has a brain that is stressed, <clears throat> because you can't find the information, the information is there, but you're not the you're not being able to connect and find what you need um, so you're not um, giving them more information than they need um, and you know you're you're adapting along the way the person with dementia cannot adapt so it's the person that's the care partner that has to do the adapting mm -hmm. um, and then you you get help from people that are either in your corner it doesn't have to be family members it can be friends that can sit with mom for a couple hours just so you can go you know if getting your nails done is your thing or if going fishing is your thing whatever it is that kind of fills your bucket you've talked about this how it's important not to put your life on hold and completely take on the role of, of the loved one 
how vital is that? Because it's, I'm guessing it's easy to slip into that mindset. I'm just going to suspend everything over here and I'm going to become a total 24 hour caregiver. And in the process, that's not good for you, is it? Correct. And, you know, in the past almost three years that I've been here, um, to my knowledge, and this is only to my knowledge, so I'm sure it's happened outside of my knowledge as well, we've lost three care partners. Um, And, you know, once you begin to kind of ignore your own needs and realize that you're an equal party, um, then it is easy to um, just neglect yourself, not on purpose, but when that happens, then <clears throat> that can lead to a lot of both, you know, bad consequences, but also severe consequences like an early death. Mm-hmm. What sort of tips would you give a caregiver to, to deal with that emotional crush that they're, they're going to obviously face? Uh, what can they do to help relieve some of those stresses? Um, other than just simple, simple like coping skills, whether it be like deep breathing or just getting outside and going for a walk, exercising, those types of things, for someone who is really feeling kind of the weight of the stress, um, someone that feels almost like they're drowning in their stress, mm-hmm. then I would say get professional help. Um, we offer therapy here. I'm a psychotherapist and um, can help uh, the care partners create some balance in their home to um, help them make sure that they're looking at both the person who needs care and themselves as equal parties and finding some balance. When someone has dementia, if they have a fall and they need your help, let's say you're at the grocery store, obviously their need is acute. Their needs will trump yours. Mm But then there's other times where their risk is low. Let's just say you've become a security blanket for them and they're fine by themselves for 45 minutes, but they just don't want you to leave them. Mm -hmm. Well, there are times where your needs need to trump theirs. Mm -hmm. You need to get out of the house. You need a break from caregiving. Um, I would say that even to a new mom, but someone who's taking care of someone with dementia and you're not talking about, a baby that's growing up, you're talking about an adult that's regressing as far as in cognitive skills. That's painful. It's painful from a grief perspective. Um, and you know, anyone that loves someone who has dementia, just grieving those little losses along the way is it's heavy. So making sure you're, you're having good outlets, um, you know, there are a lot of good therapists out there that can help um, be a good support and normalize those feelings of grief and um, be able to just kind of help you process a lot of those really big emotions. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm guessing uh, for several people, and again, this is just my take, there's probably some feelings of guilt in there. Oh, if I'm going to the grocery, if I'm going to exercise, I'm thinking more about myself. I'm being selfish. I'm not helping the loved one when actually you really you by doing that, you help yourself as a caregiver because you're keep maintaining your ability to help them as opposed to feeling needy. But do those feelings creep into people's minds sometimes? I'm being selfish all the time. Mm-hmm. I have lots of care partners that come in here that feel guilty every time they want to take 
you know, an afternoon to themselves, mm-hmm. or um, especially when their loved one really kind of wants their presence at all times. Um, but, you know, just like a mom will send their child off to school that really doesn't want to go to school when they're kindergartners, they want to <laughs> stay home because they're attached to mom. Right. You know, sometimes you have to do things that's for the good of the whole as opposed to the good of one. When you um, take a break, when you get that respite, then you come back actually as a more rested and um, more um, engaged caregiver as opposed to if you're never getting any rest, if you're never getting any break, um, then you tend to be, you're, you're more short you tend to be more frustrated, easily annoyed. Um, so it's kind of counterintuitive to, to think I need to get a break to be able to be a better caregiver. Mm-hmm. But it's true. Um, getting those breaks allows you to get back to it in a way where you're not um, totally spent. Talk a bit about people who might want to do too much when, you know, their loved one is still capable of doing some things, but because out of love or dedication or whatever, they just do too much instead of letting that person do the things they're capable of. So there is, you know, there's two sides to the coin. Sometimes caregivers do too little and sometimes they do too much. Mm -hmm. I would encourage any care partner to carefully observe what is within the realms, the realm of, a person's abilities and the more that they can do independently the more you want them to do independently because that actually really um it enhances their self-esteem so you know if if a person can um for instance if a person can still do the laundry let them do the laundry they can't do the laundry anymore but they can still help uh fold towels, let them fold the towels. They can't fold the towels anymore, but they can sort by color, let them sort by color. Because as you have them, as you are either helping them or just kind of being near for support if they need you, um, then that ends up making them feel good because they, you know, they are able to contribute to the household. So if you take away everything that they can still do on their own, then they're not stimulated, they're not engaged, mm-hmm. and they don't really necessarily have anything to feel good about. Mm-hmm. Melissa, what makes a good care partner? I think someone that um, obviously loves the person that they're caring for and chooses to exercise that that balance for the good of both and chooses to make sure that um, they're supportive but um, still still being able to you know live their life not putting their life completely on hold you may be you may not be able to do all the things that you used to be able to do, but you're making your life still a priority. So you're still going to book club once a week. Of course, COVID's thrown all of that off. Right. You're still going to book club once a week, or you're still going to that exercise class. Um, depriving yourself of that, you know, really can just uh, take away not just from your quality of life, but again, it 
leads to poor caregiving. Mm-hmm. And then you end up being a care partner that needs someone placed yesterday mm-hmm. because you all of a sudden hit this wall and you can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. So taking care of yourself is actually taking care of the person who has dementia. And that leads to better caregiving. Gina DiPietro again. As you just heard, being an effective care partner with someone who has dementia begins with taking time for yourself, both physically and mentally. It's difficult sometimes to maintain that balance, but in the process, you're helping yourself and your loved one. For more practical health tips and information, search Novant Health Healthy Headlines. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to rate and review it and subscribe to this and all the Novant Health podcasts. We post new episodes all the time. Most are just 15 minutes. Thank you for listening.